Please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. We're continuing to make our way uh, through uh, this portion of the uh, book of Acts. And again, just a happy Mother's Day. Uh, so grateful for the women in our church who uh, use their gifts so faithfully. We're, we're continuing in Acts, and some people asked me this week, aren't we going to do a special Mother's Day message? I said, well, uh, the sub-subtitle is, you know, a word to shepherds, instructions to elders, and then the sub-subtitle, every elder had a mother. So if, like, <laughs> you really need a Mother's Day message, just know that's the subtitle. And so it's, it's worked in there somehow. Uh, but no, we are grateful. And, and if, if you doubt that, just grab a candy bar. We're uh, excited to, to be able to observe Mother's Day today and thankful for the women in, in our church. We're in the book of Acts. For those of you who are uh, new to the church, uh, we're in the book of Acts. We're talking about God's mission for his church. And we're in the section of the book of Acts where it's, it's, it's Paul, the Apostle Paul, talking to some elders. And as he talks to some elders, we see some of God's instructions for elders. Now, some people say, well, okay, if Paul is talking to elders. I'm not an elder. Is this applicable to me? And the answer is yes. As we talked about several weeks ago, Hebrews 13 talks about wanting to imitate the faith of our leaders. And so as we talk about instructions to elders, in many ways we're talking about instructions to, to all of us. And so hopefully that becomes evident today as we look at this portion of the book of, of Acts. And so if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. Again, these are words that Paul is speaking to these elders at Ephesus, and we're going to start in verse 22 and read through verse 28. Paul says to the elders, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my, my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You may be seated. May God encourage and strengthen us through the reading of his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we submit our hearts to you now, asking you to reveal these things to us. We are insufficient in ourselves to, to read this, to understand it. And so please, uh, by your kindness, help us to know you more deeply. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. The word ecclesiology refers to the, the study of the church, what we believe scripture teaches us about the church. And ecclesiology, studying the church and what scripture teaches about the church is what we've been doing as we've been in this section of the book of Acts talking about elders, talking about leaders of the church. We're talking about our ecclesiology at Bethany Community Church, what we believe Scripture teaches us about leaders in the church. And so hopefully this is going to be encouraging to you and has been encouraging to you. The challenge that we face is 
our experiences often can shape our ecclesiology more than what Scripture teaches. Our experiences can shape what we believe about the nature of the church more than what God's Word says about what the church should be. And I'm sure if I were to, to poll the church, many of you could, could tell me just horrific stories of things that have happened in churches that have, that have shaped your ecclesiology, your belief about the nature of the church. I think I've, I've shared the story before about how one time I was in a church business meeting where the, the vote was obviously not going to go the way that, that someone wanted it to go, and so they pulled a fire alarm to, to clear the room so that the meeting couldn't continue. And you better believe that shaped the ecclesiology of, of some of the leaders in the church. They, they got together and they, they changed the church constitution to allow less input from the congregation, and it, it shaped their ecclesiology, right? The constant challenge that we face is to, to look at Scripture and then look at our experiences through the lens of, of Scripture. We want Scripture to inform our ecclesiology, and that's what I hope we're able to do this morning as well. In this passage, Paul goes from talking about his ministry to giving some specific instructions to the elders, really even more as we get to verse 28. There are going to be some imperatives that Paul gives to the elders that, that we need to pay attention to as well. Here's kind of the, the main idea that I want you to walk away with this morning, kind of the main application point that I'd, I'd love for us to all be committed to. We need to lovingly exhort our shepherds to study and obey God's word. As we look at what Paul tells the elders, these imperatives that he gives them, may we all commit to, to lovingly exhorting our, our shepherds to study and obey God's word. Say, okay, elder, this is, this is what God's word says. You have a responsibility to study it and to know it, and now you have a responsibility to, to obey it. And so that every person in here would would, would commit to that. Now, there's kind of three, three ways that I want us to think about this, this main idea. As you think, okay, I'm, I'm not one of the dozen elders that the church has right now. How exactly do these imperatives apply to me? One, I, I would hope that every person here would say, okay, I'm going to encourage the elders where they're doing well. And, and by the way, I, I think this church already does an excellent job at that, right? So I'm going to see an elder doing what they're supposed to do. I'm say, hey, good job. Keep it up, buddy. Keep going, right? That's in incredibly helpful for those who are in the ministry of elder. Secondly, that you would, again, lovingly <laughs> uh, come alongside and, and admonish elders where we, we need to be admonished. Say, hey, you know what? Look, this is what God's word says about what an elder should do. And, and, and I don't see our church doing this very well. How, how can we improve in this? And, and hopefully, I can't guarantee this, but, but hopefully, uh, the elders will respond well to that, you know. Sometimes, I, I admit, I, I've, I might have been de defensive about sometimes and an admonishment that someone brought me, and, and hopefully I've repented of that and, and restored where, where I need to, ask for forgiveness and, and things like that. But, but the, my commitment is to try, if, if you, it's me, you know, come to me and say, hey, elders need to do this. My, my commitment is to try to respond to that well, and I hope that your commitment is to be faithful in, in doing that as well. And then a third application, again, we've already talked about this, that you would say, okay, these are things that elders are supposed to be doing, but really, most of these are, are things that all of us need to be doing. So here's some, here's some imperative to the dozen people in this room who are elders, and then I'm going to kind of put myself in the way of that imperative and have that apply to me as an instruction that I need to receive as well. I hope that would be our, our desire as, as a church. 
So let's, let's look at these. I'm going to look at, at six imperatives, six instructions that we see to elders here in this passage. We'll look at three this morning and, and three in a couple weeks, but Lord willing, we'll look at three this morning, see how it goes. Uh, and, and then we'll look at some in, in the future week as well. So here's the first imperative. Number one, run the course. Run the course. Here's the, the course of ministry that an elder has. Elders, run the course. Fulfill your ministry. My brother-in-law had a friend in high school, and this friend was a really good runner. He even thought about uh, run, you know, trying out for the Olympics, wasn't able to make it. But he was, he was still, as he entered his 20s and his early 30s, still a really, really fast runner. He, he qualified for the, the Boston Marathon. like with a, He ran the, a marathon in two and a half hours and qualified for Boston. Really, really fast guy. And he... Uh, he decided, he was 31 years old, and he decided it would be really cool if his kids could see him on TV, you know, the Boston Marathon is televised. And so what he decided to do is he decided to just right out of the gate run that first mile as fast as he possibly could. And he, he ran that first mile in 4 minutes and 38 seconds. And if you watch, I think it's the 2015 Boston Marathon, maybe some of you saw this story, you see this guy just out run, finishing the first mile and all these, all these really good runners are behind him doing this. Like, who is this clown? And uh, the, 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 the TV announcer doesn't even know who the guy is. He goes, well, there's you know, some guy and the runner just won the first mile here. But uh, the remaining 25.2 miles did not go well for him, right? <laughs> he was spent. He said it was like the most grueling uh, remainder of a, a race that he'd ever felt. He still finished faster than I could, but it, it was not a great strategy for running his best marathon. I think he was, you know, it was over half an hour longer t- it took him to finish than, than the, the, the race that he ran to qualify. What, what's the point? You need a strategy to, to run well. It was a great strategy for getting on TV, not a great strategy for running your fastest marathon. What do we want? We want elders who go the distance. We want elders who have a strategy and an understanding of, of how to be faithful over the long term. We don't want elders who, who flame out, who start off strong, look great beginning off the, the race, and then, and then peter out. Here, here are three strategies of faithful long-term ministry. Again, this is not just for elders, but all of us. Number one, faithful running requires being constrained by the Spirit. Look at what the text tells us. Paul says here, he, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. He says, I'm, I'm constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me, but, but I know that the Spirit testifies that in every city, imprisonment and affliction awaits me. Now, what does he say? He says, I'm constrained. That, that word is deo. It, it means to be bound or tied to. You see this word used throughout the book of Acts to describe someone being bound in chains. And so, uh, some translations say, I'm, I'm, captive by, I'm, I'm, I'm captive to the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm going to be absolutely obedient in whatever it is the Spirit calls me to do. I'm, I'm constrained. Whatever the Spirit says, that's what I'm going to do. And really, for an elder, there, there are two alternatives. There are, there's either I'm constrained by the Holy Spirit or I'm not constrained by the Holy Spirit. Some men are, are not constrained by the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe they're well-intentioned. They begin the ministry of an elder, and, and they begin the ministry of the elder because they, they, they like the church. Maybe they have some, some administrative giftings. Maybe they're in a nice church like Bethany, and they're like, man, people are really nice to the elders. I, I think I'll be an elder. You know, it seems like a, I like to talk. I like to be in front of people. I, I think I should be an elder. 
But there's no understanding of, of the anchor of the ministry. What the Holy Spirit tells us is, is what we must do. And then because there's not that constraint, this understanding of I'm bound to do, I'm captive to the Holy Spirit, I'm bound to do whatever the Holy Spirit says, there's not an understanding of the difficulty of ministry and they aren't sustained as the ministry continues. The, the late night phone calls and the, the family in crisis, the, the, the family vacation interrupted by the ministry, there, there's just kind of a not understanding of, there, there's, some, there's some trials that await a person who would commit to the ministry of elder. Paul says, look, I know that imprisonment and suffering awaits me. The elder who's going to go the distance says, okay, I know that difficulty awaits, but whatever the difficulty is, I'm prepared to do. Because ultimately, I'm constrained by the Spirit. Some of us, you know, some elders, they kind of look like that that T-shirt you, you buy on vacation, right? You're, you're on vacation and you're in Seattle and there's this, this T-shirt souvenir shop and you gotta get something for the kids and it says, you know, I love Seattle or whatever. And you say, oh, well, that's something to get for the kids. It's only $5. And you bring it home and wash it one time and you know, it shrinks up to your belly button and you say, tell the kids, no, it's supposed to be that way. Um, and and it, it lasts two washings, right? You know, it looks great in the store. It doesn't go the distance, right? What do we want? We want elders who are like that old t-shirt in our drawer. I don't this analogy is falling apart a little bit, yeah. <laughs> the comfy t-shirt that, that goes the distance, right? No, we don't want guys that flame out. We want guys who, who have been tested and proven and are constrained by the Spirit and knows what it looks like to, to, to suffer. And say, so, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to do that because it's what the Holy Spirit has called for me. Uh, faithful running, number two, it re- requires valuing Christ more than one values one's own life. Now, why is Paul constrained by the Spirit? Well, he, he understands there are two competing values. And, and oftentimes, we, we see this throughout life. We have two choices b- before us. We say, okay, uh, I can have this or I can have this. And we, we put these things up next to one another and we decide, okay, this one is more valuable than this one. This, is, this has value, this has value too, but this value is, is greater than this, this other value. Maybe it's, you know, when I was a kid, it was, uh, it was baseball cards. You know, you, you have these baseball cards you, you trade to, you know, this card's more valuable than this. I think now it's like um, Pokemon cards or something, right? Maybe you're, you're a young person, you have Pokemon cards, and, and you have, uh, your friend has this Pikachu card, and, and you have a Magikarp card. I don't know what these words mean, but... I checked with some kids this morning. So and you say, okay, this, this card has more value than that. I'm not going to trade you Magic Carp for Pikachu. Pikachu's way more valuable, right? You, you put these things up against each other. Says, this one's better than this one, right? Some of you kids are going, no, I would take two cards for this. You, you, you compare the values. Now, what, what, what two things is Paul putting up against one another? Look at the text. He, he puts on one hand his life. He says, I, I don't count my life of any value nor as precious to myself. So here on, on the one side of the scale is, is his life and all that makes life precious. And, and then he says, on the other hand, I have my, my course, my, my ministry. So that I, I want to finish the course. Now, whenever you sign up for a race, 
usually like in the name of the race, you know how long the course is going to be. It's a, it's a 5K, so it's 3.1 miles, or it's half a marathon, so it's 13.1 miles. And so you know the starts here, and you run for 13.1 miles, and then it's done. That's not how the course works in the Christian life and ministry. You say, okay, I, I, be, I, begin the, I begin the course, I begin to run, and I know it's finite, but I, I don't know exactly how long that that distance is going to be. And Paul says, okay, on the one hand, I have my life, I have my retirement, I have my vacations, I have all these things that can make life as easy and as great as possible. That's on one side of the scale. And on the other side of the scale, I have my course, my ministry that God himself has given me. And, and this ministry is the ministry of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the book of Corinthians, he would say, we have this treasure in jars of clay. This is 2 Corinthians 4 to show the surpassing, that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And then in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, he says, we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so Paul says, okay, on, on this side of the scale, I have my life, my prestige, my career, all, the, all these things, and over here, I, I have the surpassing value of knowing Christ. I have this treasure in a jar of clay. I have this incredible ministry of proclaiming to people how they can be reconciled to God. And I have the, this ministry of reconciliation where I say, look, you're, you're a sinner. You are separated from God because of your sin. That's the bad news. The bad news gets worse. Our sin leads to death, eternal separation from God in hell, separation from God forever. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ, God himself, God the Son, fully God, fully man, came, lived a perfect life of righteousness, died on the cross for your sins. And now, your sins can be forgiven. Christ takes his sins on you and you can receive his perfect righteousness and you can be reconciled to God, being found righteous in Christ. All you must do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's the ministry that Paul has. And Paul says, that ministry, that ministry of proclamation, you put anything else on the scale on the other side, it's like nothing. Here's the, here's the, here's the scale proclaiming the gospel. And over here, you put your career. It doesn't even move the scale. Over here, you, you put the prestige of, of your family and, and the, the accolades of men. It doesn't even move the scale. Paul says, it's, it's nothing. If you are going to be a faithful elder, that determination must be made. Otherwise, you'll falter. Longevity in ministry requires continuing to find Christ far more beautiful and precious than anything else. Number three, faithful running requires boldly proclaiming the whole counsel of God. This, this, because of these first two points, this third point inevitably follows. As, as Paul comes to the end of this ministry, he's going to have tremendous ministry to the Ephesians. He's going to have tremendous peace. He can proclaim his innocence. Why? Because he gave them what they truly needed, which is God's word, the whole counsel of God. So we talked about that phrase last week. He, he didn't shrink. The Spirit constrains the Son's ministry is of infinite worth. So what does he do? He proclaims the counsel of the Father, the entire counsel. It might be helpful to know this. Uh, my goal is, is to preach through the whole counsel of God here at Bethany. It's why, it's why we're preaching on Mother's Day through God's word, right? 
You say, well, how's that going, Daniel? I've got some work to make up. My, my goal, I want to preach through every verse of the New Testament. I want to preach through the entirety of the Old Testament as well, but we'll have to do in some longer passages. So far, uh, I've kind of divided Scripture up into 37, you know, all the books of the New Testament and then kind of some other chunks. And so there's kind of uh, these, these larger chunks that I've, I've divided everything into. And after we're, we finished the book of Acts, uh, actually I was, it was like 48 chunks. I've, after Acts, I've done 37 I need, if I'm, I'm on pace, I need another 50 years. Um, so, I'm, yeah, I'm young-ish. Yeah. We've gone through 11 chunks in 14 years. There's some minor profits coming up, so I think I'm going to make some, some ground up. But that's the goal, right? That's the goal. I, I want to make it through, for sure, the New Testament. And that's why, because we want to preach the whole counsel of God. And we don't do it just on Sunday morning. In all seriousness, we also do it in our Sunday school classes. The goal is that the church would receive the whole counsel of God. And even as we go through different books of the Bible, we're bringing in passages and getting the full counsel of what God's Word teaches. Why? Why? Because we want to go the distance. Faithful running requires boldly proclaiming the whole counsel of God. That's what we're constrained to do. Here's a second imperative, number two. Number two, realize, elders, and all of us, who gave you your ministry? Who, who gave you this ministry? It's not yours. It's the Holy Spirit. So look at verse 28. We're going to spend, there's a couple points I want to draw out from, from verse 28, but look at what Paul says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So this, that's an important point here. What we believe is that the ministry is not a gift we take for ourselves, but it's a gift given by God. It's why we don't pick the, we don't say, okay, who are the best businessmen or, or who are the most uh, winsome people? We say, okay, what, wh- who are the elders? Our job is to try to discern who are the elders that God has given to his church. You say, well, how do, you, how do we know whether or not a man, a man has been gifted for this ministry in the church? And then number two, uh, how, how do we apply that? Like, what are the implications for that? And it's a lot to go into. I'd recommend Alexander Strzok's book on biblical eldership to, to deal with this more fully, or, or Bobby Jameson just has a new book out called um, The Path to Being a Pastor. I haven't read the whole book, but it talks about kind of pastoral ministry, vocational eldership, but kind of co- covers some of these same things. But let me, let me just give you a couple thoughts as we realize who, who, gave, you our, who gave us our ministry as elders. Number one, uh, the Holy Spirit, first of all, reveals this by giving us his word, right? The Holy Spirit has given us his word that, that helps us understand what an elder is to be. And so we come to a passage like Titus 1, and it tells us, if anyone's above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, and not open to the charges of, uh, charge of debauchery or insubordination. Uh, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also able to rebuke those who contradict it. So we, we say, okay, the Holy Spirit lets us know who are to be elders by giving us his word. Then he also, we, we also see, and another aspect is, we also see the, the Holy Spirit sovereignly granting some abilities uh, to individuals. So an elder has the ability to, to teach, for example. And so if a man doesn't have the ability to teach, we say, okay, God is sovereignty. doesn't mean that he's not gifted for great ministry, just not this specific ministry. Or we see God working 
by, by granting spiritual gifts, by enabling a man to meet the character qualifications. We also see uh, the Holy Spirit working through just providentially providing opportunities to shepherd, circumstances in which to shepherd. And then also, I believe we see the Holy Spirit a confirming ministry through the, the, the confirmation of his people. I've shared this story before, but whenever I was candidating at Bethany Baptist Church, there was a, a person in the church who kept on asking me, Are you, you know, how do you know you're called? How do you know you're called? And I said, I, I don't know for sure, right? Part of, part of the confirmation of my calling is, is you and, and other leaders telling me that, that I'm called. And here at, at Bethany Community Church, we, we believe in what we call regenerate church membership. So our goal as much as possible is to make sure that people who are members of our church are, are believers, proclaim the gospel and are living out the gospel in their lives. And so as we set men before this church, we believe that we're setting men before a church full of believers. And if, if a quarter of you come back and say, look, this guy is not qualified for, for church leadership, we say, okay, that's, that, that's the Holy Spirit not confirming this, this calling that we believe uh, we, we need to think through. So that's, that's some of the ways in which we see the Holy Spirit confirming who gave us the ministry. But, but what's the implication the implication is, look, this, first of all, this, this should cause fear. There, there should be a sense of fear for those who would enter into the eldership. This isn't, this isn't just like joining the PTA or, or a summer baseball league. This is, a, this is a divine calling that we need to be very careful as we enter into. Secondly, it also means we need to submit to his design for what this ministry looks like. The Holy Spirit's the one who gave us this ministry. I'm not the one that gets to determine what I do and don't do with this ministry. True for so many aspects of ministry. And thirdly, thirdly, I think it means we hold the ministry loosely. The Lord gives a ministry and the Lord takes away the ministry. And so we don't, we don't cling to the ministry. We don't say, this is mine. I must have it. Hey, this is, this is the Holy Spirit's. If the Lord tomorrow takes it away, if the Lord tomorrow decides to do something different, the Lord is good. Here's a third admonition I want us to give this morning as, as a church. Number three, this is, this is so important for us to understand. Grasp the nature of your authority. Grasp the nature of your authority. This is such an important issue right now in the church as we see story after story of, of churches abusing the authority that God has entrusted to them. He says, pay, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And, and there's some very important words there. The word overseer and the word flock, they're just some, some th those words are just infused with meaning as we think about the nature of authority. As we think about sinful tendencies when it comes to authority, we see that there is a sinful tendency in Scripture, God tells us, to abuse authority. Remember Matthew chapter 20. We'll look at that in just a moment again. The temptation of, of people is to lord over their authority. And we also see in Scripture there's a, a, tenful, a sinful tendency to dismiss authority or to rebel against authority. Hebrews 13, the church needs to be reminded, hey, submit to your leaders. So there's sinful tendencies that are in our hearts to respond to authority. And if we were to conduct a survey again of, of this room, I'm confident all of us 
we'll be able to find examples of, of church leaders who have not exercised their authority well. And so to protect our church, protect our flock, elders, this is, this is an exhortation to you, or exhortation to all of us who exercise authority. Here, here are four things we need to understand about the authority of pastor elders, okay? Let's, let's, let's walk through some of these things. Number one, let's remember the purpose of the authority. Why would God entrust authority to elders? Well, 2 Corinthians 10.8 tells us, says this, Paul says, it's our authority which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you. Sometimes people ask the, the question, you know, why is this person in charge? Or who, who died and made that person king? You know, they, and, and sometimes maybe you're in a, a position where you look at a, a person who's in a position of authority over you and you think to yourself, really? Uh, him? Really? That per- her? I mean, what, what in the world is the company thinking? What in the world is this organization thinking by, by per- putting this person in charge? For, for those of you who are elders, as we think about the, the purpose of our authority, one of the, the key questions we have to ask is, is, Lord, why me? Why have you given me this authority? And, and remember, as we talk about authority, authority here is, is influence. Why have you put me in a position of influence? And the reason is for building up the church. God says, look, I've put you in this position, elder, so that you can care for the flock and build them up. Paul says, God has given me this authority for building you up and not for destroying you. This is a a crucial thing to realize. The purpose of our authority is not self-serving. The purpose of our authority, like like a good husband or a good father or a good mother, is to lay down our lives for the purpose of caring for others. Number two, let's think about the, the manner the authority is exercised in. It's as a servant. Remember Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to read it one more. I'm going to read it again. Probably read it. every week we, we talk about elders. He says this. Jesus calls his disciples to them. This is verse 25. And he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as, as a ransom for many. And so what, what do we see here about the nature of authority, the, the manner of authority? It's exercised as a servant. Remember what we've said about the different terms used for elder. Elder, overseer here in Acts 20, that, 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 that's a synonymous phrase. Pastor, so the idea of, of a shepherd. All of these re- refer to a person who's in this position of, of shepherding the church. And you cannot divest the, the position of elder from the, the word shepherding. In other words, you, you can't have an elder who's not a shepherd. The, the manner that the authority is exercised in is as a, a servant shepherd. I was talking with some uh, churches this past week, and we were talking about the, the differences of, of opinion regarding uh, women in pastoral leadership. And th- these guys that had a church that has women pastors had a very interesting argument. They said, okay, uh, we agree that women can't be elders, but we think women can be pastors because believers can shepherd. Okay? Now, that's it's a true statement that, that all believers shepherd, right? That's, that's absolutely true. But to, but to divest the term elder from the term pastor is to miss the, the, 
the manner in which the authority of an elder is exercised. Elders are not just some part of, of a board sitting around making decisions. An elder is a servant, a servant shepherd. As we talked about before, they're, they're with the sheep. They're in community. They're laying down their lives. You cannot separate elder from pastor. That's crucial to the understanding of what an elder is. Number three, we think here about the sphere of authority. The authority is real. It's, it's influence over the church, and, and the church needs to recognize the authority of, of elders. But, and this is very, very important, the sphere of authority of an elder is limited. Okay? There are areas of your life that an elder has no right to speak into, and when they begin trying to do so, that's dangerous. Again, here's what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, we're not going to boast beyond limits. We're boast, we're going to influence here only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. And so an elder's authority is real, but it's, it's limited. There's a sphere in which God has said these, these shepherds need to influence your life and you need to listen to them, but it doesn't go beyond that sphere. It's, it's very similar to being a parent, right? There's a there's an area of influence and, and leadership that a parent has in a child's life. But, but kids, if, you're, if your parents begin to tell you, say, here kids, I'm going to tell you when to disobey mom and dad. Uh, when mom and dad tell you to do something that's different than what God tells you to do, you, you have to obey God, right? Mom or dad say, hey, why don't you steal that? No, I can't do that. I've got to obey God rather than mom or dad. Mom and dad's authority is, is limited and uh, for those of you who are young kids, good news, mom and dad's authority gets smaller and smaller the older you get, right? I was just talking about this with someone this morning. You know, they're, they're talking about uh, talking to our kids and, and the questions you ask your kids. And, and how sometimes, I, I told them, I said, sometimes I have to be careful of the questions that I, I ask Hannah now that she's, she's an adult, or even the questions I was asking her and Parker as they're, they're thinking about their new life. Because I, I don't want, I, I have, there, there's like parenting questions, right? And there's a there's an answer sometimes implied in the question, right? And you have to be very careful, like, hey, I am asking this question as a friend who loves you and is super excited about the awesome, if you talk to Hannah and Parker, this is what I said, the awesome decisions that you're making, seriously, and not asking the questions as a parent because it would be really inappropriate for a parent, and some of you parents need to hear this, right? It'd be really inappropriate for you to meddle in your, your children's lives in an area where God hasn't given you that authority, right? Same is true for a pastor, there are areas that God has called us to speak into, and there are areas and, and applications of those areas that He has not called us to speak into. It's fair for them, for example, to exhort you in areas where the Bible gives clear instruction. Maybe you're being unkind to your wife or your children. Maybe they're seeing you're not involved in, in, in any ministry in the church. So there's there's those conversations. But what time you put your kids down, or what what career decisions you make. You know, that's, there's danger there, right? There's danger, especially if you're not asking those questions. Fourth thing here that I want us to think about this morning then, related to the sphere of authority also, the, the context of the authority. So this authority takes place within a, a team, right? Who has, who has Paul called here? He's called the, the team of the elders. And so 
an elder's authority doesn't just take place all by itself, right? It's, it's one man within a plurality of elders. And, and, to, and to fail to understand that is to give uh, some uh, far too much authority, right? Now, now, this helps me in a couple ways. One, it helps me submit, right, just as a, a fellow elder. We're getting ready. It's kind, of, it's kind of fun. You know, we're getting ready to affirm, Lord willing, if the congregation agrees with this, uh, Phil to be an elder, right? Now, Phil... Is, is a young man who was in my youth ministry, right? And so I, I've known Phil since he was a, a, a junior higher. And so what I'm a, a middle schooler, and so what I'm about to do is to take a, a kid I knew as a middle schooler and, and say, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm submitting myself to you. My, my spiritual health is, is in your hands, right? And, and as much as I love Phil, I, just Phil by himself, I'd be a little scared about that, right? You know? <laughs> And he would be, since he knew me as a youth pastor, he'd be scared if his spiritual life was only in my hands, right? It's done in the context of a team, you know, mutual submission as we, this, this leadership exists within a, a plurality of elders. This is, this is huge, right? This, this context in which this authority is, is, is uh, played out is, is, is so crucial. It helps me submit it also. It's just a time of encouragement. You know, during, during the time of, uh, maybe some of you don't remember this time, but during COVID-19, uh, things were a little stressful, all right? And I can remember walking into elder meetings and just this, this sense of, oh, this is, so, this, is, this is so encouraging to have a group of men who have some, some different ideas and different positions but all love the Lord. I am so glad that they collectively are in charge of, of helping us, us figure this thing out. And, and when I, at my lowest points during the, the stress of COVID was when I was trying to make decisions of my own. The, the highest points were when I was just able to, to step back and just be part of a team making some of those calls. The church is going to be healthier the more we grasp the, the nature of church leadership. Let me, let me say a couple thoughts, and we'll, we'll stop for here for today. Again, this is so important. What do you do when you see church leaders abusing their authority? Sometimes the best thing to do is just talk to the leaders. You say, look, this is, this is what I'm seeing. Just very lovingly come alongside them and say, this, this is what I'm seeing. Sometimes the best thing to do is to run and to run fast. You say, well, how do I, how do I tell the difference? I think in the conversations with, with leaders, you want, I don't have the full answer to this, but, but sometimes it's, okay, in what areas, in what spheres have, have the leaders overstepped? Maybe... Maybe you look at the issue and say, you know what, this was, not, this was not a huge issue. This was a small issue. They kind of said some things that were inappropriate. The tone in which they spoke to me was, was not a, a gracious tone. That was really kind of, uh, it, it was not a good situation. And so that's, that's what happened. And, and then another, another thing I look at is, is how, does, how does an elder respond? You know, I, I come to an elder and say, hey, this, this is what I'm seeing. And if there's defensiveness and there's like, a, hey, this is who we are, tough, deal with it, uh, that's a bad sign, right? It's not a good thing. But there's times when you run, right? There's times when you run. When, it, when an elder is, is abusing their authority, whenever there's, a, there's oppression, those are times when you, you run from that church. Now, I would encourage you, when you find yourself in a tough situation like that, to, to get some counsel, right? Talk, talk to some other believers. Talk, talk to some some third parties that you trust outside the church and say, look, would, would you be willing to help me talk with my elders and say, maybe you're in a different church, say, would you come alongside and, 
and, and, and talk with our elders about this situation, your mutually trusted voice, and, and let's, let's see, maybe my thoughts are wrong, maybe my elders' thoughts are wrong, but I know they respect you, and so let's, let's, let's work towards reconciliation. I, would also, I also want to make sure you understand this. This is, this is very important to grasp. Matthew 18 is an important passage, of course, when we're talking about relating to one another, right? So let's say that I'm, I'm talking to you and I, I say something that's a lie. And, you, and, and later you find out, you know what, I think Daniel lied to me. And you come to me, Matthew 18 I think applies there. You, you, you come to me and say, hey, Daniel, I think you told me a lie. And I say, you know what, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I, I realized it was a lie. It was just an easier thing to say than the truth. And I, I am so sorry. It's been bothering me. Will you forgive me, right? There, there's times where Matthew 18 applies to an elder. But listen to this, church, we must understand it. There are times where Matthew 18 does not apply to a, position, a person in a position of authority. So let's say that you notice in my life just a, a characteristic dishonesty, deception. It, you do not need to go to me first, right, in that situation. It's, it's appropriate for you to go to another elder and say, look, this, this is what I'm seeing. In fact, if you find, if there's a, a sin in an elder's life that you believe is a disqualifying sin, you can go to any elder and, and talk with them about this. And if there is a, a legal issue where someone's, someone is in danger, you don't even know, need to go to another elder. This is very important for, for us to understand as a church. There are people in the law enforcement community that, that need, so let's say that a, a child is in danger or a, a woman is being abused or, or there's some sort of uh, legal thing that, that's taking place. You, you need to make sure that the authorities are aware of those things and, and intervene because too much abuse of authority has been covered by leadership trying to, to keep things covered. Now, we want to be wise with that. I would encourage you to, to make sure you have all the details right and, and to make sure you talk to some trusted voices to know about the right path of doing that. But, but honoring your authority in, in a church does not mean uh, hiding and covering for immoral behavior or abusive behavior. Be wise. And, and I've talked to some other people about how to, to do this in a biblical way. But... Be very careful here. Authority is, is so easily abused. We want to make sure we, that as elders, we understand the purpose of our authority, the manner we exercise, our, the sphere in which we can speak into, and the context of that authority being a, a, uh, a shared leadership. It's hard, right? But for the protection of those who are the sheep, we need to make sure we're careful here. Lovingly exhort your shepherds. Lovingly exhort your shepherds. Say, look, study God's word, shepherd, and obey it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your, your kindness to us and in, in giving us a people who are entrusted with the care of our soul. Father, we, we pray that you would protect our church. We pray that you protect our, our elders, help them to watch their life and their doctrine closely. And then we pray that the ministries you've given us, all of us, that we'd be faithful to, to run the course, that we'd recognize the ministries you've entrusted to each of us are ultimately your ministries, not our own, and that we have been given uh, areas of influence. Help us to, to use those influences for the purpose of building up your church and not harming. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.